Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years... The Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm not going to talk! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 163 of the Skate Podcast. I am Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Crew and Scott McLaughlin. And last night, the Bruins with a 5-0 win over the Nashville Predators. They finish off a strong two-game road trip in Dallas and Nashville. Two big teams, two strong teams. Dallas with a little bit more star power than, than Nashville. Um, but, you know, a lot of good things to take away from these last two games. And Jim Montgomery talked about a few things or at least one thing he didn't love about last night's game. I guess we can get to that, but other otherwise a pretty strong outing by the Bruins. Yeah. And most encouragingly from my perspective, Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand got going. Uh, both were in the longest pointless droughts that they've had in years. Um, Marchand had gone five games without a point. That was his longest drought since 2016. Bergeron had gone six games without a point. That was also his longest drought since 2016. Um, they both get off the schneid big time. First goal is Marchand from Bergeron on an odd man rush. Bergeron scores a power play goal. Uh, Marchand is right at the net front, causing havoc on Craig Smith's goal. So just a really, really good game for that line. They, you know, top power play unit breaks there. Uh Eventually got to an 0 for 21 drought, but it, you know I thought they were able to create some good looks even aside from the goal. So um, you know, to me that was that was the biggest positive, but there were plenty of others. Yeah, and when you talk about the the longest drought for Marshawn and Bergeron, in the grand scheme of things, five games without a point really isn't that long of a drought. But it it, it just doesn't happen to those two. Um, so I mean, you're ta- usually you're talking about like. I don't know, eight, nine, 10 game drought or, or worse, but um, they're able to turn it around. The Marshawn goal, um, 
off the rush was really nice give and go, um, using his speed and looking like, you know, back to regular shape. Um, cause like we mentioned multiple times coming off the hip surgery, it took him a little bit to ramp back up. So when on that play, you're like, okay, well there's the speed, like there's, he's up to speed. Um, and the Bergeron goal also coming off the rush. A lot of their, their goals came in that transition game. Even the Forbert goal was set up on a stretch play to Felino. And then when it came back around to the point, he shot it and it went in. So um, that was definitely something that was a positive. And that was, Brian, is that what you're referring to? Where Montgomery talked after the game and he said that he loved their defense to offense transition but the other way he thought they gave up Ottoman rushes um you know transitioning back to defense as well yeah that that is what I was alluding to and I and I think it's I I think it's good of Jim Montgomery to be like that right like when, when a team when your team loses and they work hard you know um good coaches will allow the the players to wear that loss but not not damn them for it and then you know on the same token when you when you win and there's a couple of things you still want to work on. You want to, you know, keep them humble, keep them wanting more and stuff like that. So I think that's a good approach. I, I actually didn't notice it as much as Montgomery did, but again, sometimes it happens when you're watching on TV and, and they're kind of pumping Nashville a bit, but you know, one guy who I thought had a great game for the Bruins was Jeremy Lausanne. Um, <laughs> two, two goals. Um, he pinched on, he, he pinched right before Martian and Bergeron and Smith went down on that three on one. Um, no, I'm just I'm just messing with the kid. Um, I, I know Scott, you said you felt a little sorry for him. I did too. That was that, that was a tough game for me. Obviously, you get up for that game against a former team. Um, some bad luck for him, huh? Yeah, he has two goals going off him. I, I saw someone tweet, and I didn't double check, so I'm just gonna blame whoever uh, tweeted this if it's wrong. But I think he had three goals total playing for the Bruins, and had two going off of him last night. Um, yeah, the the first one was was definitely a mistake. He was pinched way, way too low. And, you know, in a spot where like the play really wasn't going to go to that area, you know, it would be one thing if like he had a wide open path back door and thought maybe there was going to be a pass or whatever, but it seemed like for whatever reason, he just drifted way too low. Um, the other two, yeah, there's, there's bad luck there. One is, you know, he's trying to cover Martian at the net front. His stick just happens to be out in the wrong place and it deflects off it. Another, he's trying to block a shot. It goes off the inside of his leg and deflects in. Like that's those are those are kind of just bad luck ones. Um, but yeah, so I thought as far as the like the odd man rushes against, I think they got a maybe a little sloppy at times once they were up a few goals, which is kind of natural. But even still, like as you know, when Montgomery said that, like I went to went to my favorite website, Natural Stat Trick. And they had the Predators with four high danger chances for the game and only one rush chance, which is like defined as a, you know, a rush that actually like leads to a scoring chance. So obviously, you know, I think there are other rushes where Nashville kind of briefly had an on-man rush and just didn't really execute. But, you know, uh, I mean, good for Montgomery, like pumping up Swayman's tires and, you know, like, thank God he was so good. And Swayman was good. He did have to make some really good saves, but I didn't think he was really super heavily tested in, in the end. Like, you know, I can't remember too many, like, really great A saves that he had to make. So I think that is a little bit of nitpicking. And it's, you know, I think maybe kind of a little bit of a new approach for him to try to, you know, in a big win, still find 
something that uh that he didn't like that he can kind of show them on video so which to your point is you know good coaching like you you can't always be hey great job you know everything was awesome and then go out and have some beers in nashville go go hit the the bars on what's it what's that main stretch broadway Broadway. (laughs) um which you mentioned greer was tired i mean that after that kind of trip you know, you go into Dallas and you go into Nashville with all your your siblings. And by the way, some of those siblings look like they could party. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure they were out late. Um, you know, probably the night before the game, honestly. Um, and yeah, AJ Greer was on the Greg Hill show Friday morning, um, is what Bridget's referring to. Yeah, it's so a he, little uh, tired. Yeah, so people can check that out. I think he might be on a couple more times. Um, and usually a very good interview. But yeah, to Bridges' point, I thought he sounded uh, a little bit tired getting back late from Nashville. Well, for reference, I'll tell my um, Penguins in Nashville story. I was out in Nashville a few years back and Sidney Crosby, Phil Kessel, like half the Penguins were out at at this bar. Um, I think it was Dirk Bentley's until three in the morning. So that was, and that was, uh, I think that was two days before the game. Uh, They made sure they arrived early in order to have some fun. But like, yeah, when you go to Nashville, I know we think of the players as like you know, taking care of themselves, but sometimes they want to go out and have some fun. And they, I've seen players out in the bars in Nashville till 3 a.m. So, um, you know, they didn't look like it. Uh, they, they didn't have any lapses in the game where I was like, oh, okay, they're they're feeling the effects of staying out. But um, who knows? Maybe they didn't. Maybe they did. <laughs> I didn't look like they, they were affected if at the very least, if not. I did see some of the footage, though, of like, from the siblings trip i didn't realize jeremy swayman could play the guitar like they went to gibson um in nashville and they like a few of them were in there and swayman was in like the sound room just riffing on a guitar and i mean maybe there's not much else to do in alaska but <laughs> yeah i think um i think the siblings kind of stole the show there was it was some pretty funny footage of them like after the dallas went literally like breaking the the roof pan the roof panels of their suite um, the, the bar that they were all at in Nashville looked pretty fun. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fairly certain that players circle Vegas and Nashville on their, on their away calendars every year and kind of hope to God that they have a, a day off before. And so they can enjoy those cities. But, uh, yeah, that was, um, that was really cool to see the siblings enjoying it. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things like you kind of, you, you forget as a fan, right? Like, you know, people, people watch these guys night in night out and you have the highest expectations if they don't score you get pissed at them you know if they win you know you think they love you it's like well not really but um the one thing you forget is like they're real people with families and stuff and like when you're watching their games so are their family it's just so it's uh i thought that was a pretty cool trip obviously it's usually the moms moms and or the dads and uh the siblings was was a cool new spin on it we talked about last episode but to see them carry that momentum through to nashville and, and get those two wins for them and to see them all in the um the hallways afterwards with the, with the with their siblings and stuff was pretty cool um i thought that was a really cool cool trip for the bruins to do yeah and, and it is unique uh like you said for the siblings because like even when they first kind of revealed that this is what they're doing like i thought of it it's like okay like you know if you're around the rank especially games like obviously you'd see players kids wives girlfriends you'll see the parents sometimes but it's like you don't really see the siblings often because they're living their own lives, you know, wherever they live. And, you know, it's harder for them to, to get to games, but obviously, 
you know, and a lot of players talked about this. It's like, well, they were at all the games growing up, you know, they were on all those trips for tournaments and all that stuff. So yeah, that, that was pretty cool. And obviously there were, you know, a couple that I think really stood out, uh, obviously Brad Marshan's brother, Jeff, um, you know, makes the joke about Brad, like in poetry and then the Bruins to kind of like cap off the trip tweeted, uh, or in post post on Instagram, a photo from last night of Jeff Marshan doing pull-ups like in the hallway by the locker rooms. And I was like, yeah, that checks out. Like that makes sense. (laughs) Um, Greer, when he was on the Great Kill Show, also clarified what his brother was carrying in the uh, famous brown paper bag that he was bringing on the plane. Yeah, uh, it, it was not his carry-on. It was not his luggage. Uh, it wasn't like a forty-ounce. It was. Uh, it was actually um, like Quebec maple syrup treats that he brought for everyone. So, so that was very nice of him. Booze and fe- booze, booze injected. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was cool. Like to see like, you know, Martian and Bergeron connecting on the ice for a goal, hugging on the ice, and then to see their siblings embracing in the box, like right after that. It's pretty cool stuff. Um I guess to jump back quickly to something Bridget brought up about ten minutes ago was was Martian. So like last episode we talked about the slump um that Bergeron and Martian had been in, I think five five points in their previous sixteen combined games between the two of them. But you know, in the same breath, we we acknowledge like that's nothing to be worried about. It was just an objective stat to bring up, and it was worth mentioning, right? We do three episodes a week, and we we have to cover the games. But um, to Bridget's point about like his speed in on that odd man rush, that first goal of the game. Like another thing I noticed to me uh, or noticed last night that jumped out to me was like Martian has been starting to at least last night, but he was he was really starting to get back into his 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 ways of you know, quick cutbacks and quick pivots and, and pull-ups and stuff like that. And that, to me, is another good sign of somebody who's starting to feel a lot more comfortable following off-season hip surgery. And I think that going forward in the next, you know, three and a half months, three to four months of a season, including playoffs, uh, that's a great sign for Marshan to get going, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, obviously, like, we've brought it up how DeBrusque is expected back soon. It, you know, kind of keeps getting pushed back, but now it sounds like it's should definitely be Saturday as long as he gets his final clearance. Um, and that was, that's going to help, right? It's going to help the top line that everything kind of falls into place. He helps the top power play unit, but at the same time, it's like, you know, obviously Martian and Bergeron shouldn't be relying on DeBrusque's return to get out of a slump. Like they shouldn't have to, I'm sure they don't want to, right? Like they, they know they have to be, better individually like they're not in in a to your point it's it's a mini slump it's five games um but like that's not just happening just because debrusque isn't on their wing uh they, they had to be better they knew it so i think to kind of to snap that and and have a big night before debrusque comes back it, you know i also think that helps um because now it's like okay like yeah we, we can still do this you know like we it's not it's not like we've gotten so old that like, oh, now we need, you know, the third guy on our line to help us, you know, get going. Like, no, they can still do it. They got out of their slump. And now you're going to bring DeBrus back and should, you know, as long as he's able to kind of pick up where he was, help even more. And as I said, like that, it just helps everything fall into place because now you can comf- comfortably keep the check line together. You can keep Taylor Hall on the third line. And I also thought, you know, 
Craig Smith had a good game and, and scores the goal. And maybe that helps him kind of find some momentum as he kind of inevitably moves back down the lineup. Craig Smith scores the goal. <laughs> um, that's the one that Lausanne really swept in with his, you know, with his stick. Um, but no, it, it was nice to see him get credit. He did throw the puck, you know, out in front. Um, was really probably more looking for an assist to Marshawn, who was standing there and originally kind of looked like he might have got a stick on it, but it was Lausanne. So, um, yeah, good for him to, to get on the board. He did look – I mean, like you mentioned – from the other side with Lausanne, same thing for Smith. You're playing against your old team and you want to be able to make an impact. I thought he had a good game. I, I, I thought I saw him going to the net. I saw him working hard. So, yeah, he had a good game against uh, his, his former team for sure. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Somebody who I thought had a phenomenal game for the Bruins was Hampus Lindholm on the back end. And, um, you know, it's one of those games where it, it reminds you just how dominant of a, of a player he can be, an impact player. And it reminds you of just the significance of, and the workload that it can take away from Charlie McAvoy, the pressure it can take away from Charlie McAvoy when Lindholm was on his game. Because I remember last year when, when the Bruins traded for Lindholm, that first game he played for Boston was against Tampa Bay at the Garden. And I just remember like it was automatic transition. His skating was his, – his strides were long. His skating was powerful. And you were just kind of like, man, I don't know how the Bruins' decor was so good before they got him. You know, and, 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 um, anyway, so he was, he was back to, I don't want to say back to being himself, but he had a, he had a really, really strong game last night. Uh, the Bruins power play got off the, um, you know, off the schneid, I suppose. Um, but it was in an unconventional way, right? Like it was a, it was a tr- goal in transition on the power play. And that was, that was led by Hampus Lindholm. Um, yeah. And it was so. on like a, a line change too, because the Bruins started their second unit. That did not get much done at all. Um, and Taylor Hall was just like passing it over to Lindholm to change off the ice and, and Bergeron and that top unit had started to change on. So it was kind of a weird situation where they're trying to get that first unit back on the ice. And it seemed like they were thinking Bergeron was kind of stagnant. It wasn't going to be able to like turn the speed on and, and head on net. And But he ended up in behind people because um, he had a really good first step from that transition pass from Lindholm like you mentioned and Lindholm ended up with two assists in the game and I I honestly think that and you might disagree but I think that if the Bruins lost any defenseman for the playoffs um, the one that would really hurt them the most would be Lindholm going down um, just because of the way he's played this year and the offense that he adds Um, not that it wouldn't be huge to lose 
any of the other guys, especially McAvoy. But I just feel like Lindholm brings more to the team that gives them the edge over other teams in the playoffs. That's a that's a um, that's a ballsy take, Bridget. And I I appreciate you bringing that up because that's something I never really thought of. To your point, I'm not sure if uh, if I ultimately agree with that, but I absolutely see your point. But and to help your case real quick before Scott jumps in, is that earlier this year they played how many games Scott without McAvoy and obviously got off to that great start. They can also make the argument that most of last year they played without Lindholm and McAvoy led them to, you know, a, a over 100 point team. Um, I. I feel like it's taboo to even talk about this because I I don't want to go on. I can I cannot with this. I can't say there's another defenseman more valuable than than Charlie McAvoy on this team. But if you were to make a one year argument, this would be the year for Lindholm to make that argument. So I think it's a great question to bring up. Yeah, I think it's definitely fair to say. Like at worst, they've been even for much of the season. You know, I in my mind, like I still anticipate McAvoy being more valuable and being like the better all around player by then, just because I think he has a, a higher ceiling, but yeah, obviously Lindholm's had some awesome stretches this season and it took McAvoy a bit to get going. So, you know, like one thing that I think is definitely going to happen is Lindholm's going to get more Norris votes, you know, McAvoy probably missed too much time, but like, that's just the caliber season that Lindholm's having now. I don't know if he's, I don't really think he's like all that close to the top, but maybe he's, I don't know, fifth, sixth, seventh in voting or something like that, which would be the highest finish of his career. You know, obviously losing either one would be devastating because like the biggest advantage of having both of them is that you have that kind of dominant all around defender on each side, on the right and on the left. And you can either, have them split up, which obviously is what they've mostly had for the last couple of months or, you know, put them together for like a super top pairing. Um, you know, I do think when McAvoy's really on top of his game, I think he's ultimately probably harder to replace. Um, but yeah, it's, it's close. And just the fact that it is close is a huge testament to, to the season that Lindholm's having. Yeah, and it also kind of brings us back around to something that I saw. You wrote about this week, Scott, and a, a few other Boston uh, Bruins beat writers wrote about, which was what Don Sweeney was able to do over the last few years, what was given up, and what was gotten back. And the the trade-offs were just clearly wins for the Bruins organization, and, and Lindholm being one of those moves where you – have no regrets in hindsight, at least a year after, you know, the move or in the second, the real full first season that you're having him, that you gave up that first round pick and that package to get Lindholm um, and what you gave up to get Saka when you get rid of Hala um, for him. Like there was just so much that when you really look at it on paper, what was given up for what was received it way in the Bruins favor. Yeah, and obviously the Taylor Hall trade the year before as well, where, you know, you didn't really give up anything of that, you know, Anders Bjork in a second round pick, like who cares? Um, you know, and, and that's even with Hall, like not necessarily lighting the world on fire, but because you got him so cheap in that deal and, you know, in his extensions for 6 million, not 8 million a year, 
like you're still okay with what you're getting. You're still like, yeah, that was a clear win, obviously. So yeah, it's, there's obviously been plenty of things to criticize Don Sweeney for in recent years, but, or, you know, just over his entire time as general manager, but his recent trades are not one of them. Like he has hit it out of the park on, I'm going to say like three straight trades of significance and, you know, not like any minor deals or whatever, but his last three, like, Significant trades, Hall, Lindholm, and then Hall of Fazaka, just absolute home runs. Look, I think if you look early on in his tenure as GM here in Boston, like I think that's where a lot of his his NHL level mistakes took place. Um, I mean, the 2015 draft I know is the is the low hanging fruit, but at the end of the day, like you have to rely heavily on your scouting department for that and. You know the 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 draft was in June. He got hired as GM when. So like even then, it's like you can understand why, you know, there could have been a miss or two there. But then the NHL deals his first season. It's like they were okay, right? Like the Bolesky contract, I think was was Sweeney, right? Bolesky. I mean that that wasn't that wasn't great. There were a couple other ones that weren't great, right? But honestly, the last I would say, you know, four or five seasons at the NHL level. He's he's done a remarkable job. He really has, um, and he's 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 improved the Bruins at each and every deadline in different ways. Um, go back to 2019, he brought in Johansson and Coyle. That was clearly uh, you know two great additions. One you're still seeing today. Um, and you give up Ryan Donato, like a, a prospect at the mm-hmm. time that you know Coyle has been more impactful than Donato would have been. A prospect at the time that a lot of people in Boston were high on, right? Because he came in from Harvard, and I think his first game, he had, like, a goal and an assist, and, like, people were loving the local ties. You know, Ryan was a pretty good player, at least, you know, coming up and whatnot. He's had a, you know, underwhelming NHL career so far. But you didn't – fans didn't know that at the time, but Sweeney clearly was ahead of the game there. Um, you know, you guys mentioned the Taylor Hall edition, Lindholm edition, whatever. My point is he's done a great job. Um at the NHL level. And yeah, I mean like like Scott, what was the what was the total trade last year for Lindholm? Was it was it simply Vakanine and a first? Because I think there was it, another conditional two, pick. Two seconds as well. Yeah. Okay. And, and and why wasn't that other so where did the And like, John did, Moore? Can't forget about John oh, Moore. Right, right, Johnny Moore, that's right. Well I think one of the seconds was specifically to include more and like retain some money. So like Last year, what what were we saying that like Sweeney did that other teams weren't willing to do to get that deal done? Because it because it does blow my mind that that's all it took to get Lindholm essentially that and like that other teams couldn't have matched that other contenders. Yeah, I think it was just the the quantity of picks, you know, for one of them to be a first and then a couple more seconds. Like, I mean, that is a lot of draft capital. Um, but yeah, it, as long as you extend Lindholm and he works out, like then it's nothing, you know, to second round picks are flyers. First round pick is what it is. Like, yeah, you don't love giving those up, but again, are you, what are the chances of you drafting someone who's going to make the impact that Hampus Lindholm's going to make now for the next eight years, like slim. So especially if you're picking, you know, in the twenties or, you know, looking at this year, even potentially 30, 31st, 32nd. Um, yeah, it, it's, and it's why I think like fans should have some confidence in Sweeney going into this trade deadline. Like he's found 
an approach that has worked. And now you want almost wonder like, because so many of the prospects he's traded away haven't really worked out for other teams. Like you basically have to go back to the Ryan Lindgren for uh, Rick Nash trade to find where like they gave him a prospect that actually became something, you know, you wonder like, or would teams be hesitant if they're, you know, say it's like a Jacob Lauco or a Johnny Beecher on the table where it's like, Hey, unless it's Lysel or Laura, like we're really not going to be interested. Um, just because some of those like middle tier prospects that they've given up just haven't been, really been anything. Um, but yeah, it's, it, he's found the right formula and he's been able to target guys who have been good fits. So I feel like if you're a fan, like you've got to give him at least a little bit of a benefit of the doubt that he's going to be able to identify, you know, one or two of those guys again this year um, and not, you know, not go splurge on someone who's going to be a bad fit or not, um, you know, or, or identify or go after someone who isn't that good or whatever. Like he's identified good players. So, um, and been able to get them without giving up, uh, you know, key pieces off the roster or part of your core or whatever. Yeah. I think it, it lets us know that the strategy probably is when we hear like the trade rumors, what you'd have to give up to get, you know, Chikrin or, or, you know, some of the, some of the things that have been brought up this week, including for some reason yesterday, a big topic of conversation was potentially, would you give up Jeremy Swayman? Um, I think from based off of what Sweeney's been doing over the past few deadlines and with his moves kind of should tell you that he's probably hesitant to trade a guy off the active roster, um, including Jeremy Swayman, including, you know, the risk of, taking one of your defensemen off the back end. Um, if you're going to include, you know, a Grizzly in a trade, I think he's very hesitant to trade people off the active roster. Um, and you're, you know, at the end of the day, you're a buyer at the deadline, which means you're, you're not trying to lose pieces that have been important to you the whole season. You're not trying to give that up. Um, so I think the mentality for him going into the deadline would be similar to last year, which is your, I mean, at, I'd have to check how much draft capital they have left. <laughs> um, like they, it feels like there's, they've given up quite a few picks, but um, you know, they can find ways to to trade draft picks still and trade prospects still without really affecting the active roster too much. I think that that's something he'd try to avoid, which would make me think like he's probably not trying to make a huge move unless for some reason the asking price for Chikrin would be something he could deal with um, in terms of player a player off the active roster. Yeah. I mean, they still have all their first, their own first round picks. They're just missing their next two second round picks. And when you look at, I mean, the good news is when you look around at the league and other contenders, the contenders this year, are pretty much the contenders, of last year and the year before and the year before. So, and they've been going forward at deadlines. So, you know, it's not like the Bruins have an empty cupboard of draft picks and everybody else that they're competing with has, you know, everything in the world to offer. Like people have been giving up a lot um, the last couple of years. The same teams have been giving up, have been giving up a lot. Right. So um, 
Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus you brought up Swayman, Bridget. Like, all right, so I'll just say this right now. For me personally, no chance in hell. But I will probably try to see where those are coming from that are bringing this up is they're probably looking at the fact that Allmark, I think he had another three seasons after this, right, under his current deal. Is that is that, is that accurate? Uh, they signed it for a five-year deal, right? Two more after this year. It was a four-year year. deal. Four-year deal, okay. So you have you have Allmark for two more years after this, and he's playing at a Vesna caliber level, right? So the people out there are probably thinking to yourselves, well, then why, if Swayman's worth so much, he's the number one goalie in this league, and you, but you already have a number one goalie, Vesna caliber, for the next two years locked up. You know, is it that ridiculous to just go out there and find a capable backup for for Allmark? Okay, that's the logic, and the and, and that you could probably get a a, a lot for Swayman. Problem is, is that Allmark's current statistics and level of play and caliber of play have a lot to do with the shared workload that he has with Swayman because the Bruins have the trust in Swayman to to also be that number one guy. Um, and furthermore, like, God forbid somebody goes down with injury, Allmark, obviously, right? The Bruins can really not miss a beat with Swayman and that this year, this year. So his level of importance for this year in particular in my opinion, is invaluable. And if you get to a point down the line where you feel like you have somebody in the system that can kind of be that next 1A or 1B for one of these guys, and you feel like down the line you might want to move one of these guys, uh, it's a business, right? But as far as the here and now, there's no world that I live in where the Bruins will or should trade Swayman. It doesn't no, make any I, sense I think the other mistake that... I think the other mistake that people are making here and, you know, so I, like I first heard about the, like, I think it was Wiggy who brought it up on the Grey Kill show. And then Mike Milbury at least entertained the idea. I know, you know, Keith was asking the question Thursday night. Um, but I feel like a lot of people are, or at least that group seems to be assuming that Swayman isn't going to play in the playoffs. So from that perspective, it's like, well, if you have this extremely valuable piece and, Swayman would be more valuable than Lysel, Lori, or a first round pick. Um, and he's not going to play in the playoffs. If you're all in, like, you know, why not consider it for, for like a truly elite upgrade? Um, I'm just not sold that Swayman's not going to play in the playoffs. Like we don't know that Elmar can handle every night for four straight rounds. He He's never done that. Uh, we also don't know that Elmar is definitely going to be better at that point. Like, 
look at how Swayman's been playing for the last couple of months. He's his last 12 starts. He's eight, one and three with a nine thirty seven save percentage. You know, is it insane to suggest that he might be the goaltender who's playing better by the time we get to April? Uh, I don't think that's crazy at all. So, you know, I would maybe at least be willing to consider it if if I felt like I had another goalie who was NHL ready, you know, say like a Kyle Kaiser or a Brandon Bussey looked really in, by the way, like those two guys have both been really good in the AHL this year. Um, but I'm not sure that like, they're ready for the NHL. Both. I think Kaiser, has Kaiser play. I think he was a backup for a game at one point, but um, you know, Bussey obviously hasn't played in the NHL. Uh, you know, if one of those guys had a little more experience and you thought they were ready, like maybe I would entertain it, but we're not there. And as it is like you having two great goalies is yes, a luxury, but it it could also be a necessity for this team because neither one has carried the workload on a long Stanley cup run yet. So you want to make sure that you have both of them. I think it would make your chances of winning the Stanley cup worse this year. I also think it's a bad move long-term because I think that, as a goalie pair, the Bruins are better off with them in the regular season next year, whatever, however long you keep both of them. Um, but specifically to talk about like what you're trying to do with the deadline is make your team better without risking something that's, you know, that that's just too risky of a move. Like you're not risking an injury to your goalie, which we've seen happen with Tuca. Um, like there's been times in the past where, you know, you have such a great situation that you've set yourself up with by making good moves, by drafting a good goalie in Swayman, by making a really good offseason move to get Allmark. And that was hard work that you put in to identify those guys and put them in place the way that they are. You have the luxury that a lot of teams wish they had. Why would you try to trade away that luxury? Um, and there's no guarantee one of them is, you know, not slumping at the time or, or you know, maybe – injury or or consistency or something could be the issue and you're not just throwing in some random person from providence or some random guy that you got in a trade um back the other way and you have a combination that you trust and also another good point about it is it's kind of been part of their identity the whole season and it's an important thing in their locker room and for morale. Like you see the Allmark Swayman energy that comes from their dynamic. Um, like the way that they have each other's back kind of represents the way that the entire team has each other's backs. So in terms of like messing with a locker room, it's also an issue to me. Um, there's really, I honestly can't entertain the idea of it. I think it's crazy. I think it's off the table. Um, I think it should be off the table at the very least. It shouldn't, you know, we're talking about a risk and reward situation. You're really gambling to, to think that at that point in the season, someone might not like someone might get injured. Um, Like I mentioned, Tuke has gotten injured at times in the past, right before the playoffs, during the playoffs, or wasn't a hundred percent and was playing when you wish you had another guy that could come in say, Oh, Mark's 80% healthy. Well, would you rather go with Swayman 100% healthy? Yeah, you would. Isn't it the Boston media way? Swayman gets a shutout. Ten hours later, people are questioning. Should we just trade him? <laughs> no, um, you want to know what Keith said? No, he just upped his trade value. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, 
no, like we're on the same page here. Uh, that's that's not the yeah. play for the Bruins. And the other part of it is, to me, at least right now, there's no one available who rises to that level where I would consider moving Swain and like not doing it for Timo Meyer because I don't think the Bruins are gonna, would be able to re-sign Timo Meyer. Not doing it for Jacob Chikrin. I I would rather just keep Swayman. Um, at, like maybe a Dylan Larkin is like is approaching that level, but even that, like he's not a superstar. He's a really good center. Um, to me, like you would have to be talking about like a true legitimate in his prime superstar that you can keep around for a while. And that player is not on the trade market right now. No, there's but- not. There's not anyone out there that I would say it would make. It would even be like a temptation. Like I feel like it's not even a temptation based on the names that we know. Because you're talking about a guy that you finally like one person you really did hit on in the draft. You know, finding Swayman um, when they did and and how he's turned out. So it, it's not even a tempting option. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, and he's you know he's young, right? He's mid twenties. So teams in the NHL are always looking for a goalie, right? A, a quality goalie and. To Scott's point, like if 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 the Bruins, if, if the kids they have down in, in Providence right now end up instilling enough confidence in the organization to be like, all right, you know, we could ride with this kid um, to a level that we probably develop Swayman into, then down the line, like all bets are off, right? But as it pertains to this current Bruins team, he is way too valuable to what to what they do um, to move him this year. And yeah, like who are you moving him for, right? No one this year. The, the closer we get to the deadline, the more I feel like the Bruins aren't going to rock the boat. I think I think they're going to try to just complement this team by giving away, you know, uh, picks prospects, really. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe a, a lesser roster player for financial reasons. I'm not really sure. Um, yeah, it's not but, a yeah. sexy conversation. So that's why on, on our talk shows we're talking about Swayman because this is something that perks the ears. While, whereas you're saying, oh, you know, trade a second-round draft pick for like a – depth defenseman that's not so sexy so right you're hearing but, the patrick yeah. kane name go around because people know like name recognition for certain people and and you know just the controversial stuff well how you know what i would say to that and, and you're you're absolutely right but like 2000 2011 you know how how sexy was it to learn that the bruins got rich peverly and chris kelly and you know caberlet although at the time caberlet was known for being a really good power play guy and then, you well, know, and Cavalier was one of those guys they had been linked to forever. So it was like pe- people knew him, not even just from watching him, but from the fact that like he had been in Bruins trade rumors for three years. So. And they, yeah, I think right. they missed the boat on him. They grabbed him a little too late. He was one of my least favorite Bruins of all yeah. time, that guy. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? Any Anybody on that team is is high on my list because they helped. They all had a part in bringing the cup back. Um, Cavalier used you know, to and, get booed. And he had like eleven or twelve assists that postseason. Like it's he not like he did he, nothing. He wasn't bad. I mean, he he was he was honestly like they stuck him with McQuaid and I, it was fine. I thought that, I thought he was fine. Like I don't know, but I don't know why people razz him so much. But um, I mean, uh, look, he, he was, was getting booed at home at the Garden. He, what was he? I don't I don't yeah, recall that. He was. I mean, I don't know. I mean, look, he was he wasn't a five year player here. He was here for three months, and you know he did his roles at third deep here in the back half of his career. I don't even know if he played. What did he even go? Yeah, I think he went to Carolina after that. But I don't know. Um, and then, you know, 2019, just to finish the point, like how, how sexy was Coyle and Johansson, right? So at the time, right? Um, I thought it was a great move at the no, time. No, 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 no I, I think we all did. But like, I'd have to think back to who the people were on the market at that deadline. Like the, I'm, I'm trying to remember who the big, the big fish were that deadline. 
it wasn't Coyle and Johansson, but we all acknowledged that they were great pickups. I'm just saying, like, find a way to compliment. You don't have to be a disruptor, really. Yeah, and, you know, so we touched on, like, some of the hits recently. I guess, like, the one year you could say that maybe Sweeney missed was 2020 when you get Nick Ritchie and Andre Kasha and kind of go more of, like, the value route. The Lightning go all in, throwing around first-round picks for uh, Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow, and that pays off more. So, that, like, that would be maybe the argument for, Hey, you know, it's worth it to go for the more expensive guys um, rather than looking for the value. But in that case, that Bruins team needed more impact guys. than this one does like that team needed legitimate third line upgrades and Richie and Kasha didn't prove to be it. Um, This team doesn't have any area where they need a significant upgrade. So if it is only depth, if it is only, hey, this is the guy that there was an actual remotely reasonable price for. Like, that could be, you know, getting someone like a Nick Ritchie could be good enough for this team. You know, not saying Nick Ritchie, but, you know, like that kind of player, um, because this team doesn't need as much as that 2020 team did. Bringing up Nick Ritchie, though, I almost feel like it makes me... It makes me really think that the Bruins probably would rather add a value defenseman than like a value forward like Nick Ritchie in their their current situation. I gotta, I gotta be honest, guys, and, and and call call me crazy. And I, I I remember saying it at the time. I don't know why people hate the Nick Ritchie experience in Boston. Like I I understand he was a load. I get it, but yeah. like for what he was, he didn't he put up like twenty goals that year. I'm on well, the, the next year. Yeah, it was really it was that one series against Tampa in the bubble that. Yeah, but the Bruins. He was legitimately inspired. bad and took some really bad penalties. He did, but what I'll say, and I remember, I remember saying this to you at the time, I believe, but like, I don't actually, I don't think we were doing the podcast yet, but um, like, yes, he did take some stupid penalties in that in that bubble series, but you have to remember that was after three and a half, four months of not playing hockey. The world was in a pandemic. And the Bruins were playing. You have to remember they were sky high going into when COVID happened. They had cup aspirations, and they went out and just kind of played uninspired hockey against the, against the Lightning. And at the time, Nick Ritchie was the only guy trying to do do anything really. Um, now, on this team though, like I feel like that's not like where no, are you going to put this, someone no, like that? No, no, I'm not saying no, no, no. Diff, different team, different need. I'm I'm just saying like people look back at Nick Ritchie and like make fun of. It. It's like guys like. I don't know. He was like an okay player for them. Um, the one that like I don't really blame Don Sweeney for either is like Kasha, because like at the time he was like a really promising player in Anaheim, and and, and the Bruin, that Bruins team like it, it, he was a good, he wasn't supposed to come to Boston and be the guy. He was supposed to be a guy, but sometimes with with players you just can't forecast you know head injuries and stuff. So I don't know. It, it's it, yes that yes you can look back at that deadline and say yeah the Andre Andre Kasha experience was an epic fail. But when he acquired the player, there was no way of forecasting that he was going to go down with a concussion the second game in Boston or whatever. And then it just snowballed from there. Right. And, you know, with Kasha, there was also like at least some upside that potentially he could, you know, play on Krejci's line. Obviously that, you know, never worked out. Um, But I just remember like even at that deadline, especially the Coleman move for Tampa, because that was a player I'd always really liked. And I was like, oh, that's 
that's going to make a difference. Like Goodrow is a little less sure about, but Blake Coleman, I was like, yeah, like that, that guy's a baller. Like he's going to help them in the playoffs. Which leads me to another question. This is more of like less of a question about what, but who would, who would be someone that you'd be the most worried to see moved to like a Toronto that would like actually legitimately make you go, Oh, well, that's, that seriously is going to affect the Bruins chances against them or like make this, make a series really close. Hmm. Good question. I mean, they had been linked to Chikrin. Supposedly they're now out. Um, I mean, it's probably just like, it's one of the top guys. Like, you know, I don't think they can make a move for like Timo Meyer either. I don't really think they're in on him, but like one of those true legitimate top guys. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone kind of on the next level. I've said this before. Like, I don't love the defenseman market. I, I think you can find depth there. Outside of Chikrin, I'm not really sure about like legitimate difference makers. Um, they could use help up front. Like I'm trying to, if they found like a real impact middle six forward, um, I'm just trying to well, think of like who that might be. But Patrick like, that's, Kane was linked to them, and he has a no again, trait. Kane, I guess like you would always have to be worried that Kane, you know, finds his form and plays like old Patrick Kane, but current Patrick Kane just doesn't really scare me all that much. Uh, my my two cents is that for two teams in particular, let's let's do an Eastern Conference, Carolina and Toronto. Um, if Carolina can go out there and upgrade their forward grouping, that would really yeah. scare me. That's if, where you look for Timo Meyer. And if Toronto, see if Toronto, like in the years past when the Bruins beat them, they had that forward depth. Like in 2019, they had Kadri for a couple games. They had Hyman. They had Tavares. Um, they, they, Toronto to me, they can go out there and what, add every What happened forward. with Kadri? Why was it only a couple games? <laughs> yeah. Um, you can, Toronto, the, the Maple Leafs can go out there and add Wayne Gretzky up front for all I care. Um, until their blue line can, can win themselves playoff series and their goaltending can win themselves playoff series. I'm not scared of Toronto because they've always had the offense. And I think their offense is less now than what it has been in previous years when lesser Bruins teams have beaten them. So for me, if Carolina can go out there and add a significant piece up front, that scares me. If Toronto can significantly improve their blue line, that's to me where Toronto would be more of a threat in my mind to Boston. Toronto adding Timo Meyer does nothing to me. It, it really doesn't. Like he's just another guy that can, I don't know, like he, he's, he's a good forward, but that's not where Toronto needs. I mean, they might want to get him, but for, if, I'm, if, if I'm talking about the Maple Leafs and I want them to – go far in the playoffs, you got to address the blue line first and foremost. Yeah. So, and, and truly we don't know necessarily everyone that's available at this point. Um, we are only, uh, what is it? A week, a little over a week away, right. From the trade deadline. Um, so yeah, like almost two weeks, March. Yeah. 3rd. Yeah. So it's a little bit under two weeks. Um, yeah, exactly two weeks from when oh, we're recording. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. It's two weeks. Um, we don't necessarily know other names that might be out there. Um, sometimes you something comes at the last minute that's a little bit of a shock. Other times, like we we hear the names. Some some names we don't hear. So, um, yeah. Well, yeah. Be- and like, and there's also like these fringe teams that you're still waiting to see what they're gonna do. Like, I tweeted it, you know, somewhat jokingly, but also kind of seriously last night that. 
the Bruins are doing their part to turn the Predators into a seller. Like that's they're a team that's been right in the mix for a wild card spot, but you wonder like if you know they're a little bit on the outside looking in. I think they're like tenth in the West. And it's like, do you does a night like last night kind of send them a message of like, yeah, like this is how far away we we really are. Like, you know, yeah, maybe we should try to maybe yeah. we should try to get something for a couple of our guys. Um, you know, Minnesota's another one that keeps and Minnesota's in the playoffs right now, but they keep coming up. You know, there's Matt Dumba's name has been out there for a long time now. I just saw Jordan Greenway's name popped up. You know, I don't really think Greenway's a huge difference maker. Dumba a little bit more if he can find his game, but he's had an off season. So um you know, yeah, like we we know the obvious sellers, we know the obvious buyers, but but then there's some, like Nashville, St. Louis. Yeah, like some of the teams in that middle group are still, I think, kind of trying to figure out what they're going to be. Well, we know that the Islanders, who are technically outside the playoff race right now, decided they're buyers. <laughs> um, so you know, still trying to figure out like Detroit, but, probably. But even them, Detroit's now Detroit's making like an actual push. Like I, yeah. I could see them trying to you know do something to add. Um, even the Islanders, though, I think now that they have Horvat locked up, I wouldn't be surprised if they at least consider moving other guys. Like one, one guy who could get them a really nice return is Scott Mayfield, who is you know a big mobile right shot defenseman who's going to be an unrestricted free agent after the season. And if they're not like truly all in this season, why wouldn't they try to see what they could get for him? Because like, he he to me would probably immediately be like the second best defenseman on the market behind Chikorin. I, I think he's better than Gavrikov. And his name's Scott. So yeah, you know, he's a huge good guy. plus. <laughs> yep. and, and he played college hockey. Another plus. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to shake out still. To your guys' point, there's, there's players that have been mentioned that they're going to be essentially traded at some point prior to the deadline that, fans and players in the league know about but then there's another market of players that are that we're going to call the, the black friday shopping where they're gonna they're like the last minute players that are going to be uh made available and i think I, I not many gms probably know who those guys are right now but yeah some of the players you guys just mentioned there's some examples so um yeah i mean like one thing i guess just to conclude i get one thing i'm sure of is that i really don't see sweeney jeopardizing the chemistry of this team while making this team better and i i am i'm confident in all of, in all of Sweeney's faults, um, which of which there are a couple, but I, I'm it, it, one of them is definitely not um, his ability to improve this team at the deadline. And 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 I really do I really do have a lot of trust in him when it comes to NHL level decisions. Um, I think his track record is has spoken for that part. So uh, there's a lot to look forward to these next few weeks, guys. Was there anything else you wanted to cover before we we wrapped up today? I don't think so. I mean, no, the only thing so. outside the game was DeBrusque, but Scott touched on the fact that he'll probably be back Saturday. Um, oh, well, maybe just the fact that the the game times are kind of weird. Um, so Saturday is – and then Monday Monday's a holiday. So sa- Saturday is a 5 p.m. game at home against the Islanders. Monday is at home at 1 p.m. Um, against Ottawa because it's a holiday. Yeah, two weird times for the game's – the next two games and then we're back to those late games uh, they hit another road trip 10 o'clock game in seattle whatever they're <laughs> they're gonna be some late podcasts again uh in the next few weeks 
Yeah. Also, by the way, kind of weird scheduling for their opponents because they're facing Ottawa on President's Day, and uh, President's Day is quite notably not a holiday in Canada where they do not celebrate U.S. presidents. Um, and also Saturday, that 5 p.m. start, the Islanders play Friday night at 7. So like that 22-hour turnaround is the minimum amount of time between games that you can have on in the NHL. So that'll be a tough game for the Islanders. Um, you know, you, you would hope the Bruins would be able to take advantage of that. Well, if they don't, Scott, then they'll drop to 41, nine and five on the year, whatever the hell they are. So just a, just a crazy, crazy season that, that we're witnessing here in the skate podcast. And I know, it's funny because in, in recent seasons or a season and a half, I forget how long we've been doing this, but um, Bridget always made a comment about how, uh, you know, we always seem to record after a loss. Well, not this year. It's, no. not, it's I don't think we've recorded after a loss once this year, maybe once or twice, but it's, it's been. I'm sure crazy. we have, but yeah, not many. Not Did many. we record after that loss to the Coyotes, I think? Yeah, yeah and definitely during the three-game losing streak, at least yeah. one or two of those. But even then, they go on a – the NHL goes on a two-week break and the All-Star break and during their actual slump so far this year. So even then, it was kind of broken up and not not too negative to talk about. So, yeah, good stuff. Hopefully, they keep it going for us this year. Just wipe the table and bring home the Stanley Cup. That'd be, uh, that'd be fun to see, see pictures of Scott chugging champagne out of the cup in the locker room, sneaking it. Well, he doesn't have to sneak in. He has a press pass. So, yeah. you, t- you too, Bridget. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, be the, I'll be the one sneaking in probably. but Yes. But anywho, okay. Um, well, I'm all set, guys. If you guys are good, Scott looked like he had some a jokes brewing in his head, but I think he might be all set now. Was it like a eating hot dogs out of the Stanley Cup joke or something? Or popcorn. <laughs> no, although I, I would love to do that. That's the Phil Castle plan. Um... Yeah. Well, well, like I said, we'll get some. We'll get some McLaugh corn in the uh, in the cup for you, Scott, and and we'll, <laughs> that'll be your first marketing, and we'll pitch it launch it for the following season it'll be the td gardens number one selling popcorn and you won't have to do the skate pod anymore yeah one last thing sunday skate returns this sunday uh so people should, should tune in 10 a.m there you Me, go razor bridget the dream team yep. just need just needs brian yeah but we don't want to we don't want to give the people that much of a treat do we <laughs> you, you gotta you gotta keep the people wanting more so it's, it's too much it's, star power for one team they couldn't afford all of us Hey, we don't need, we don't need an all star team. We need a winning team, right? So, you guys will you guys will do that. He's gonna he's gonna call in as Joe from Medford. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll be listening. You will, I'll be a different I'll be a different alias every single time with a different voice. I'll keep you on your toes. Yeah, um, we'll see if you get past me. I'm the call screener, so. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got. I, got if I can get them if you can get past. I got a lot of cheap Verizon phones, disposable phones. I'll be using. <laughs> you won't you won't catch a thing. All right. Uh, on that note, as Scott said, listen to Morning Skate on our Sunday, Sunday skate. skate. What's Morning Skate? Uh, it's what the Bruins do in the morning. Uh, I think I thought, <laughs> there's going to be something called. That. I thought there was something called Morning Skate, but uh, there's sun- Morning Brew. But yeah, I guess I combined them. Yeah, that's probably what it is. So Sunday Skate. Listen to that this Sunday. Um, and thank you all for listening to this. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.